Are you done thinking and talking about getting into real estate investing and finally ready to do it? If so, Rochelle Rayner and her guests are going to share everything you want to know about getting started on your journey to financial freedom using real estate investing. They'll share how they got started, their best and worst experiences, and the tips and advice beginners need to succeed. Now, let's get into today's episode of What's the Deal? So, Wendy, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us about what you do in real estate investing. Um, when I connected with you, I was pretty excited uh, to hear your story. And I, I really think that's something that other people would like to hear about as well. So why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got started in the storage units? Yeah, well, also, I'm glad to be here because everyone else I know gets tired of hearing you talk about this stuff. So <laughs> people who actually want to hear about it. Well, it was actually a complete accident and, you know, hindsight 2020 in that Thank goodness it worked out because I kind of jumped in with both feet and, uh, you know, it, it, it worked out well in the end. Um, I ac accidentally bird a, um, the house behind mine. Um, I bought it at a, um, I bought it when it was a foreclosure and it was supposed to be an eight week cosmetic renovation turned in eight months full rehab. You know, that has, so then I kind of was looking at bigger pockets. I was like, what is this bigger pockets thing? And that kind of led me into looking down the road of other investments. Well, we were looking for apartment buildings, things like that. Couldn't find anything. I work in town as a firefighter. So I kind of know the area like back of my hand. And I saw this one on the market that had like a two sentence blurb of, oh, you know, could be expanded. Really nobody put any effort into it. Like two terrible pictures on it, but it was already pending. I kept an eye on it and I knew exactly where it was. And it was like something you'd probably be embarrassed to own when you're driving by. So um, like four or five months later, I was cleaning out my saved and I came upon uh, that it was still pending, asked my agent about it. He actually called the agent and they said it was falling out of contract that day. So I was able to put a, uh, an offer in on it and get it for one back in the market. It sat on the market, actually been in the market for over a year when I found it uh, because the man managers, we'll call them that, uh, they kept records on like scraps of paper. So anybody who had gone to the bank, there was no records of anything. There was no, uh, there was no list of people. There was, and where the money was going, who knows, because it was an even bigger mess than I thought. So I'd already kind of established a relationship with one of our local credit unions a bit. And I went to him and I said, look, I know the area. I know what's going on. I know what this could be. Gave them a layout of where I researched the other units in the area, what they were going for versus this place who hadn't had the rents raised in about 12 years. So obviously there's room there for it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I, I, I'm not normally that like jumping in kind of person. So the fact that I did, I'm kind of like, who was that person? <laughs> like if it did that. So that's kind of the initial how I got into it. And, you know, like I said, at least it worked out for the best in the end. Although blood, sweat, and tears emphasis on the tears through the whole story. <laughs> it wasn't easy. So yeah. you found it through a real estate agent. Yes. It was on the MLS. The market. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, so, so then you made an offer on it and ended up getting it. So you talked about, talk to us a little bit about the process of how you, you know, from the time you put the offer on it and how you find, found the financing um, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, so when, when our agent initially talked to their agent, he said, well, you know, you got to put the offer in and we'll see how it goes. The owners are actually going to China for six months. And he said, they will have no communication available, which I'm kind of like, 
Okay. I get, maybe they're going to like the woods. I don't know, but <laughs> so it was kind of like, okay, fine. And even then it was hard because we still needed certain amounts of information and paperwork for our lender. So that started out rock. Then we also found out later they came back and didn't tell us. So they were here. Any, it, it, the whole thing was weird. And I think there was allegedly some, some nefarious things going on because the people had owned it for 10 years, only been there twice. There was some weird loans taken out against it, which they actually ended up having to pay to get rid of it in the end. They ended up paying like 1200 bucks when they all closed. They didn't make any money whatsoever. Oh, this so, sounds like an episode of Ozark. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, right. So pretty quickly, we found out that the managers also were not doing the most legal activities, allegedly, wow. at the facility. There were people coming and going at all times of the night and day for about five minutes at a time. And I uh, talked to the police because I actually knew from my job, I knew some police officers and they were like, oh yeah, that, that's so-and-so. Yeah, he's a he's a dealer down, you know, down on that street kind of thing. <laughs> also, there was a lot of things I recognized from my job that go with a roller coaster of ups and downs for these activities, crying, screaming, um, just weird happenings. Neighbors had also, one of the neighbors actually was going to move because they, this place was so bad with the activities going on. And before we even closed, I had the female of the duo calling me at all hours crying, accusing the husband of cheating on her. And I was just like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, we did, in fact, the offer, we did offer them their full price just because we, I was like, I know what this thing can be based on my numbers. Less there, there's no negotiation needed. I know, you know, this, it was a good price where we got. So, how many, how many units and how much was the offer? Yeah. So uh, we, we uh, gave them, they actually were asking $4.98 and we just decided to give them a flat $500, give them a little extra $2,000. It started out, let's see, we bought it, it was 80, 85 units and we were actually able to take and rearrange things to then expand it out to 91 units. There is like a 1,200 square foot manager's apartment on the front, which we ended up completely gutting and we now rent that out for $1,100 a month. The person who lived there just lives there. No management at all. There's a sign on her gate that says, you know, call this number if you have something. So that's an extra, uh, you know, that's extra money right every month from that. There is an office there. We got it as well. So we yeah, so went to the 91 that also increased our NOI. We also, it was 100% physical occupancy. It was only about 60% economic occupancy, meaning 60% of the people were basically paying. And people weren't on the books. They weren't being recorded as being on there. I actually had to call the police again at one point because I found a bunch of uh, cockfighting ring paraphernalia. Like, the, and, and I, get, I called my friend, I caught, I just had a measure. She goes, um, you need to call the, I was going to throw her away because it was an abandoned unit. She's like, you need to call the police. Well, it turns out there's like, if you own the magazines, there are like underground cockfighting ring magazines. Just owning those magazines is a huge deal. Wow. So like, cops came out, seized everything from the unit. And that, so that was a, and the story could go on for like, could go on forever, but it, quickly the relationship between us and the managers deteriorated before we even closed. We talked to our attorney and he said he was aware of the activities and he said, by law, because they're, and we'd already told him, eased him into it saying, we're not really going to need you once, you know, we're going to manage it from our home, that kind of thing. But we, he said, you only really have to give them seven days by Washington law because, um, they, their, their housing was a function of their job, which we weren't going to have anywhere. But he said, let's try and keep it as civil as possible and let's give them 30 days. 
we were okay with that. However, that 30 days turned into a nightmare. <laughs> there were no cameras, no gates. He was peeling. There was overgrowth on everything. There was actually two abandoned RVs also sitting there. Come to find out, it's actually hard to get rid of RVs that are there. You have to actually pay a company to come take them. Wow. And so word to the wise, here's one thing I did find out. So Washington is a two-party state in terms of recording sounds. Places like Illinois, it's only one party. And so we put cameras up, temporary Arlo cameras, before we got the big system put up. And the law, though, says that um, if you, you can record sound without somebody's knowledge if it's an enclosed space after hours of a business. That was helpful because we caught the male duo of the managers in the units after hours by the camera sound, picking it up and alerting me in the middle of the night. Wow. Guns drawn, cops there everywhere, the whole thing. <laughs> and then the best part was when we finally got into the manager's unit, he had then cut a human sized hole in the wall going into the units from the apartment. So he could go into the one unit that was next to theirs and, I'm getting all over the place with this, but it's like the scratch in the surface of everything. He then put a sign outside saying that we were illegally recording sound and I had to call the cops again. And it was uh, <laughs> all over the place because there's so much to it. It's saying that we got this property and kind of the numbers will go over. It was not easy. It's like it, it, it was truly a burn and it, it was, it had to be a labor of love knowing where it was going to be because it was so much work to get it to that point. And we had to, we had to get rid of a lot of people who were friends of the old managers. My boyfriend was actually out of town when we closed on it because he works out of town a lot of time. So I was there by myself and it got to the point where um, I was told by another tenant that the male manager was saying, Oh, she doesn't know what's going to come to her. I'll teach her a lesson. Veiled threats to my physical being. And so I called my boyfriend in California and said, you need to get home right now. Like, you need to leave on emergency from that job and get home because this is getting, this is getting scary. And I, I wouldn't go there by myself after a while and all of that. So, wow. <laughs> it kind of got off track, but it's, it's this big thing that, so how'd you um, finance it? Uh, so we financed it through our local credit union. Um, I used a HELOC on my house. I bought my house in 2012. And so I got a lot of appreciation on it in the meantime. So we used my HELOC for the down payment. And then my boyfriend had a HELOC at his house we used for the improvements. Uh, we put, gosh, I think we put almost $100,000 into it by, by about a year into it. Cause we had to also, we put some new doors on, um, we had to re-gravel the whole area. Like I said, the, we put in wrought iron gates on two sides, um, the cameras, the rent of complete renovation of the apartment. So using our HELOCs, uh, but you know, that was okay for us. Cause we knew we'd get that all back. We knew we were going to have zero of our own money into it by the end. And we got a, I was just, I was looking at the paper earlier. I think we had a 5%, 20% down, 5% with the credit union. We refied this last August and we got a 4.5 and we got all our money back on a cash out refi. So we, we own the place for free as of now. It cash flows, uh, 3,500 to 4,000 a month covering all the bills. So that's a, it was a great, it was a great buy. <laughs> So you kind of touched on some of the value add components. Yeah. So you did camera systems, you did painting and, and, and then like when you took over, uh, you talked about the, 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 uh, physical vacancy versus the economic yeah. vacancy. What was that like to evict? How, how did you, how did you go through, what did you do in that process? So we first, the thing about storage units is really nice is the laws are very clear, very short, very clear. It's not like residential where you have 
you know, you're going through all, you know, interpreting this, what can you do with this pages and pages. It's like one page, easy to follow. After five days, you can overlock them. Five days of non paint from the first. Mm -hmm. 15, so you can do a, a late fee. 15, you know, late fee, which puts them, uh, you know, there are two late, late fees in then. By the 30th day of the month in Washington, you can actually cut the lock, go into inventory for it. And for the auction, you can schedule after 42 days of non payment. So you're less than six. We do 45 days just to give like, hey, we're giving three extra days. Yeah. So when we took her from the other people, we started it over. So we were like, we're going to follow up every two a T because we knew there were people coming back six months later. Oh, I haven't paid in six months. Is my stuff not here anymore? Mm -hmm. So we started over on day one with everybody. You know, we were going to lose money the first few months we knew, but it was important to follow the laws, obviously. Sure. Um, there were some people that tried to intimidate me because I, when my boyfriend was gone again, I had to be the, the muscle uh, trying to intimidate me. I had people call and yell at me, people swear at me. And, you know, it, it was an exercise in customer service because that's one thing people don't remember about uh, storage units. It's different than residential and that it is, it's a retail business really. It's, I mean, you have customer service things that come up um, because you always have competition that can come in around you or that is already there. So it's a matter of keeping people happy but sticking to your gun. So it's a matter of, you know, I tell people, you know, this is the law a lot and people will ask for special considerations. And I say, look, I really can't. Cause if I give that to you, somebody else finds out, is that not discrimination? Is that not going to be good? So why did they get that? And I didn't. So once you kind of tell people that they back off, especially when they figure out that I know my laws and I'm, I kind of have to be assertive anyway in the rest of my life. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not I'm like a shrinking violet. So it's kind of like in, in the managers that I, that are, our subsequent still as we bought, she was a little less assertive than me. And people kind of tested that out with me for a while. And I was like, no. So people learned quickly. The first month, actually the first two months, I had to borrow extra locks from friends because we had over half of the units overlocked the first couple of months. And so I had like random padlocks on them. And so because there were so many. Now we're down to actually during the pandemic, we've actually had the least amount of red locks we've ever had. We're down to like maybe three to five a month. And it's usually the normal people who kind of pay late every month. Once people figure out that you're not going to take any crap from them, they kind of get in line. It didn't take too long um, for people to realize that, no, this is a business and it's going to be run as one, not just to pay whenever you want, let your friends rent stuff. So right, right. It, it really became like a sticking to your guns in a customer service way. I was glad once we were kind of done with getting rid of some of the riffraff because I was like, oh, okay. I don't have to carry a gun with me every time I go now. But... <laughs> that kind of thing so in yeah. terms of management um do you hire management do you hire someone to manage it or do you self-manage it talk a little bit about that and what's involved yeah so we knew i had researched a lot beforehand and found out that there was a a company and i don't work for them up but easy storage solutions they're a company out of salt lake that i had found that really catered towards um, off-site management and kind of smaller facilities because if you're running one that's like 500 800 you know, the, the public storage, the huge places, they need more functions because they're tracking their marketing and their people. And so, but this is very basic and I like that about it. And so it's, it's really catered to people who want to run it from their phone. Sure. And I knew that, you know, after reading their reviews and things that I could, I'd be able to do this. So from the get go, we knew that I was going to manage it. I do. I really manage from my phone. I could be on a beach somewhere in theory and be managing it from my phone. I get people call me, they can rent online. That's one thing they have is a website where I've probably never seen at least 80% of our customers. Um, they just go on our website, take, walks them through, click here to rent online, walks them through, they bring their own lock with them. 
it's easy. They can call me if they need something. Usually the first week of the month is the busiest because I still have people that call in their payments, but they, mm -hmm. um, I think 75% of our renters are on auto pay. So it just does that automatically. And if you do it like that, you, it's actually really easy to run them on your own. Wow. So what would be involved in a day-to-day -day operation? Like, is there things that you have to do every single day? Um, yeah, we try yeah. to drive through the units uh, at least once a day, but a lot of days, that's basically it. Like, how to be able okay. to really that easy. <laughs> it's uh, uh, make sure that there's, you know, no break-ins have happened or, you know, and you know, things are weird, but also some people move out without telling you. So you have, you have to kind of look for that. Um, I get some days I get like eight calls, people looking for units. And some days I get zero. Like uh, I had one guy call earlier to pay his unit today. But other than that, I haven't had any calls today. Yesterday, I don't think I got any calls. Um, so you kind of ebbs and flows. But for day to day, because it really kind of runs itself for the most part. And I, I say to my boyfriend, it's like, how many businesses can you own where like you don't have you really theory don't ever have to go there <laughs> and, and it just keeps going on its own and it has a really good return. You know, if you buy correctly, you know, as far as um, even like overhead, we have very little overhead uh, since we don't pay anybody. We pay about 60 bucks a month per facility for the, um, the software system. And then you have the credit card fees they take out of that. Our electricity is really low. We put in all led lights. So I think it's maybe like 40 bucks a month for, so for per facility for electricity, that's really about it. B&O taxes are really cheap because they're just, it's not taxed that high. So yeah, it's, it's low overhead, low. I mean, our sure, sure bookkeeper and CPA enjoy that part of it, but there's not a whole lot <laughs> happening back and forth all the time. Right, right. So is this something you plan to scale? Have you purchased more since then? Yeah. So we, about eight months later, we, uh, so I went on the MLS eight months later, we found, um, so we have two towns right next to each other and they, uh, in the next town where we bought our second one, there was an older guy there. We walked in and said, Hey, you know, we own a facility down the road. We're interested in selling. He was like, well, I don't know, maybe kind of hemmed and hawed, kind of try to see if we were serious. And he, he was, uh, he's late seventies, ready to retire. He, uh, he calls back, let us know he was. So we have um, 60, there's two, two uh, facilities, you know, two lots down there that we bought from him. We were originally going to buy one. We decided to buy both. Um, there's 63 units in one, 64 in the other. Um, there's also a residential unit on one of those as well. We rent out to a lady who's kind of there for security. She doesn't do any management, but she lives there as like a security presence. And we uh, owner financed those. 10% down. Uh, we give, we do 6% uh, on the uh, interest for him because we felt that it was worth it to give an extra percent to carry it for us. A lot less work on our part and the whole thing. So uh, we're happy with that. It was, it was a lot of work. We as an attorney, obviously, instead of a realtor. So that actually cut down on the cost, the closing costs a lot. One thing we really like about those units as well is the ones, so at our first facility, it's a stick built place. These are actually modular units which uh, they're then pr personal property. First, so, so our property taxes were like extremely low because in theory, there's no buildings on the property. Right, right. So right. that saves us a ton of money in property taxes. And we can also expand pretty easily, add units. There's a company out of Oregon that builds the units. Um, we're going to be expanding on that uh, coming up in the future. But um, as far as scaling goes, I told my boyfriend that if we bought more, I'd probably need at least a part-time person to help me out. I do want to diversify though. We own five residential doors and 
you know, the, the thing about the storage is, like I said, it is, it is customer service, it's retail. That, that can get a little old, <laughs> like that, sure, that's fine, you know, yeah, so, right, um, right. and it's the competition factor, you know, if a enormous 800 unit, three story REIT moved in in our town, that would put a, that'd put a damper on our business. So that part's a little nerve wracking when you hear there's something coming to we are in, we're in a military town, it's a big growing area. So our, we have, if one came up within our media areas for sale, I'd, I'd seriously look into it, but I'm not looking to, you know, go national or anything at this point, never say never, <laughs> but at this point, you know, diversifying into some more residential units, I think it's granted what's going on with COVID's kind of <laughs> scary right. with that, but right, right. Yeah. It's good, but we also want to try something else. Awesome. So to somebody who's looking to get into storage units, investing and what, what, for their first investment or what would you give them for a piece of advice? Well, you know, people, I always see people writing online like, oh, storage units, they're cash cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can be. Like, see me, we, we forced that. We, we got there by burring a storage facility, basically. I mean, there's also ones that come up online all the time that are like a one or a two cap or you're losing money, you know, and I'm going, right. okay, they're not a cash cow if you don't buy it right. So right. Right. regardless of what you buy, any real estate asset is you're still going to have to do due diligence on it. You're still going to have to buy it correctly in order to make the kind of money. Yeah. You don't have toilets and tenants, so to speak, but there's other challenges involved in it. You know, really looking at the economic versus the physical occupancy. That's a big thing. Really making sure you see bank statements and the rent rolls, knowing what, if there's any other ones being built in your area, um, several cities around us, they're not really our competition because they're far enough away. We're actually the military base is between us and them. They, uh, they become overly saturated big time. And I know a lot of them are really scrambling to fill their units, you know, knowing kind of what's going on, talking to people at your city to see have there many other applications for, you know, you're looking to buy one, make sure there's not three facilities in the works to go in that you don't know about yet, because that would really change your outlook, your, your outlook for your units, what you're going to be able to charge, that kind of thing. Knowing whether you're going to management or manage it or hire somebody Mm -hmm. And whether you really, truly have the time to manage it, I do because with my job, you know, I work eight days a month. So I can, I can be there nine to five job. I don't think I'd be as easily able to manage it just because it's, I'm not here. I can't go down sure. there. That kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. It's the same due diligence as everything else. You know, also one thing is don't just look at the big facilities. Ours are smaller facilities by storage industry standards, just the amount of units we have. However, we're not competing with the REITs and the big guys to buy these places. Public storage is never going to buy a 60-unit facility. It sure. has 10 acres around it. So right, if you're right. wanting to get into it, be looking at smaller facilities that they're not looking at. You can you know, be looking at the ways you can add value to it by make, putting more units in, upping the rents, doing things like that. Really just because just it's small, it's like buying a duplex. It may be small, but you may be making 800 bucks a door or something. Then it's a great right. buy. Right, so, right. Yeah, getting into it, just look at the smaller place. It doesn't have to be big. That's great advice. Great advice. So one of the questions I always like to ask people is what is your why? Well, my why became so my boyfriend's commercial diver. I'm a firefighter. I mean, one ankle roll off the sidewalk and neither of us can go to work. I mean, it's so easily <laughs> able for us to be out of work and you know, right. I can't go back with one leg or something. You can't have a prosthetic leg in a fire. So um, or even just it's not a my neither of our jobs are a young person's job. I'm 35 and at the at the very minimum, I'm hoping to be financially free and not having to go to a W-2 by 45. 
sooner it'd be better. We just want to do what we want to do. We want to, or we want to eventually like live in Hawaii half the yeah. year. Okay. But, you know, it's a security for us knowing that if something were to happen to us physically, because we don't work at a desk, we'll be fine. You yeah. know, it, 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 we, our original goal was just to be able to replace one or both of our salaries with the income, but we're kind of past that now. So now we have like a bigger goal to be even more. So the why is security. It really is the security right. of it. And now that I'm into it and I love it, it's like, how far can we go? Right. Right. I yeah. love that. I love that. And I feel like when people connect with their why, um, you know, it's just what they're doing, you know, becomes some, they become so much more passionate about what they're doing. So, uh, you know, I loved my first conversation with you. I've loved this conversation with you because you know, it's, you have to do what works for you and what suits your personality. And yeah, definitely see that, that you'd be good at, at that. So that's amazing. <laughs> What's your favorite quote? Oh, okay. So, so it's, uh, uh, John Rohr, I think is the guy that said it. I don't know who he is, but he said online told me he actually was the one that said it. It was, uh, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. There you go. Love yeah. it. Love that. I mean, that's, uh, that's just it. You know, one of the, one of the quotes that I have told my son, he's 11 years old. He goes to school, you know, every day, you know, he would deal with other kids and you know, whatever bullying, all these things. And I would look at him before he would get out of the car and I'd say, what's the, what do we say every morning? And he'd look back at me and he says, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Exactly. So I love yeah. that, you know, do more of what makes you happy and you know, what puts a smile on your face every day. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how can people get in touch with you? Uh, let's see. So they can email me. It's W L Y N N C at hotmail.com. Okay. Um, on Facebook, uh, like Wendy Lynn is my Facebook name, but I have my first name and my middle name <laughs> and, uh, you know, privacy sometimes, but, uh, you can also, the same um, middle name. what we share the same middle name. Oh, we do. Exactly the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm on bigger pockets. Sometimes I get a little distracted and messages come in and I don't get to them very easy, but I am a bigger pockets. Wendy Carpenter, that's my last name. So you can find bigger pockets. Um, I don't have a website, but maybe I should. Well, our, our units do. <laughs> so yeah, and I love talking about this with anybody. So anybody wants to talk about it or needs any tips or, you know, things like that, you're, you're, you're probably like, I talk really fast and really animated because I'm like, <laughs> somebody to talk to about this. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well we've appreciated you sharing your story and thank you so much for your time um, yeah thanks for having me it's been wonderful thank you all right have a good day you too you've been listening to what's the deal with rochelle rayner if you enjoyed today's show don't forget to tell a friend Subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you're listening right now. You can follow Rochelle on Instagram at Invest with Rochelle. Until next time, keep investing.